post-match interview, he had the, he, he had the expression of a man who's on Beatles about seeing his white van go into the river and just can't quite work out what, 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 what's going on and how he feels about it. I think it would lift the spirits of the nation. I don't give a fuck about the nation of Morocco. People's lives are at risk. Oli Gunnar, where would you like the statue? <laughs> it's an absolute disgrace. I refuse to answer that question. We'll take that as a yes then. Take it whatever you want. I don't understand that politics, coronavirus. Why me? I wear a base cap and uh, I have a bad shave. Hello, comrades, and you're very welcome to the football spin, Wednesday night football spin. Lots to talk about. Big couple of moving days in the Premier League. We're going to be focusing a little bit on Carlo Ancelotti and Everton later on. But first of all, let's get stuck into the relegation battle. Dion Fanning, Nordin Chaudhry. Dion, we can all agree that David Moyes has been through a lot. And tonight is his night, Dion. It's Moyes' night. It is, finally. It is David Moyes' night. Um, uh, it is... Um... It is a great night for David Moyes, uh, West Ham beating Chelsea, coming, you know, the, the odds were stacked against them, VAR was stacked against them, everything was stacked against them. But when things are going David Moyes' way, and let's face it, they're very rarely going David Moyes' way. But when things are going David Moyes' way, they, uh, they, they really go his way. Like, there has never been, like, there is an amazing thing about David Moyes now that, uh, you know, he is. It's a, it's, a, it's such a great sadness about him that his whole career is framed by you know that there is there is another uh, there is another failure just around the corner like everything everything seems to be framed by that even like the the Sky Sports post match interview the first thing I think Jeff Shreve says to him is like David credit where credits due and and give him praise for the Yamalanko substitution uh, but even that credit where credits due like that's the kind of thing. I used to hear, like, in school all the time, like, you know, when you kind of had years of failing exams and, like, then you get a 41% in an exam and the teacher says, credit where credit's due, Fanny. <laughs> you know, like, I told you, I didn't, I didn't expect you, just didn't see that, you didn't think you had that in you, you know, that scraping a pass. Um, <laughs> and, like, what has happened? Like, you know, like, a tremendously successful career and now it's just, like, yeah, credit where credit's due, Dave. Uh, you know, you got you got that win. Um, it's uh, it's an extraordinary thing, but it is a great it is a great great evening for him. And uh, I think the relegation battle probably needed that. Although some people might say it's it's over now. Um, but uh, I think I think it's been a long uh, it's been a long kind of six days since liverpool won the title in the, in in the, in this in this sort of summer premier league and i think we needed uh needed that kind of action tonight to um kind of get us going again even though cuz you know the, even the like the, the relegation battle has been sort of characterized by nothing like everybody just losing um and like west ham had lost their previous two games bournemouth Losing every game, which is what why they're in the relegation zone. But nobody was moving. You know, West Ham are basically back to where they were when Project Restart started. But uh, it's it adds a bit of drama to it, and adds a bit of drama to the top four battle as well. 
Uh, it's looking pretty bleak for Bournemouth. Uh, it's looking more or less curtains for Norwich. So, like, it's probably West Ham are there and thereabouts, and it's probably going to come down to them, Watford, and Villa for that last place. If you imagine Norwich are gone and Bournemouth's trajectory suggests that they could be gone too. We'll get to those in a moment, but let's stay with Moyes. And Naz, I'll come to you in a moment, but first of all, let's hear from Moyes. He was speaking to Jeff Shreves after the game, and Jeff Shreves put it to him that, you know, credit where credit's due, his team had managed to, you know, despite the injustice of VAR, they'd managed to knuckle down and just get on with it. In commentary, Gary Neville said, great credit to your side as well, that after the disappointment of the VAR goal being disallowed, the manner of it, the fact it took three and a half minutes, you didn't feel sorry for yourselves? Well, I did. When I was doing it, I was, I was, I was spewing. I was thinking, you know, are we going to ever get a decision here? I felt as if everything was going against us. We've, you know... I said a few times, you know, I think some of the, the, the things that have gone against West Ham recently has been, has been really poor, and, you know, and I can't explain it. David Moyes saying the quiet part out loud since 2013. <laughs> Don't say it, Moisey. Don't tell everyone that you're feeling sorry for yourself because that's what we're all thinking. Poor Moisey. Poor, poor Moisey. Don't, don't, like, don't encourage people with that way of thinking. Just come out and talk about West Ham invincibility and how uh, nothing can stop West Ham uh, when they're in that kind of form. Don't start talking about how everything's going against you because like that's we we know that. We know that that's that's the kind of calling card of you know the David Moyes side at this stage. So don't stop saying those yeah. things. Say change somebody needs to have a word with him about how he what he says here. Yeah, but at least that was the only daft thing that he said in that two and a half minute interview with Jeff Shreve. I think it would have been hard to play with, with nearly two up top against Chelsea anyway. I think even the, the good teams find that hard, you know. Oh, no, it's, it's, what do you say? What do you say? It's amazing. Do you know you've got that, you've got that rousing uh, Roy Kipling uh, poem, If, that always gets people excited. And, and it's got that line that something like, uh, uh, if you can meet uh, triumph and disaster, and treat him, treat those two imposters just the same. That's what he does. He treats both success and failure as failure. And <laughs> I think that's, I think that's outstanding. He does. He he can't quite believe it. He, he like that post match interview. He had the, he, he had the expression of a man who's on beetles about seeing his white van go into the river, and just can't quite work out what 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 what's going on and how he feels about it. He 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 looks like he looks like an old deer who's gone out into the street and doesn't understand why people aren't clapping anymore at eight o'clock. <laughs> he's just got this craggy, confused face, and and God love him. Like like he he's such an he, he's the antithesis of modern football. You got all these, get all these get all these managers who are, who are all about like you get Mark Hughes who's all about how he looks and how he comes across and 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 almost creating this persona of being a winner without really doing anything to deserve it and then you've got Moyes who, who, who literally just he looks like he looks like a, he looks like the manager of a of a JD Sports that's come out because there's been a fire drill and now he's forgotten which which shop he works in <laughs> and he's just hovering about on Market Street or think, something do you think he will like he could go on to become like one of the kind of uh Kind of a national treasure, one of the most loved figures in the game. Like I think this is a kind of arc for Moyes as he as he moves further and f- 
further away from what happened at Manchester United and people forget about that, but just know that something, there was someone, there was someone pleasantness in his past and uh, can't quite remember what it is, but now he, here he is, this noble figure who never, uh, who never kind of, never, never stopped, you know, kept plugging away and got, you know, every a win, a big win every four or five years. Uh, and, you know, maybe that he's just become this kind of, Beloved figure around everyone applauding him wherever he goes. And, it's, uh, he, he's he, he's so um. There's something so sweet about him. Like 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 there's something so endearing. Like as much as we're laughing, there's there's something so and, and like you say, like don't say the quiet out quite a bit out loud. But like there's something so sweet about the fact that he just it just falls out of his mouth, like whatever he's thinking, and, and, yeah. and it, it, it's almost like he's found his level at United. He was trying so hard to say this, to say the right thing, and he'd still come out with things like "We aspire to be like Sitter." And now he, now there's no pressure. Now, now words just flow out of his mouth like bubbles. <laughs> I liked. I did like the way I must say as well. I liked the way uh, Ashley Cole called him. I know you sort of called him Moise there, and I like the way afterwards Ashley Cole called him Moise and something like Moise did well. Uh, and it's kind of I really I I do I saw you tweeting about this and I like Ashley Cole as a pundit. I like that he said Moyes because there's nothing uh, there was nothing kind of faux familiar about it. He's just like Moyes did well. I don't know who this Moyes guy is, but he did well. And uh, I think that's a great thing. I think Ashley Cole is a great great figure in uh, in English life. And um, I hope that he does more punditry because he is one of those. I think he's the most underrated English footballer of his generation. A guy who who kind of was entirely committed to just doing what he felt was the right thing to do at any one time. A person of utmost integrity, if you can find integrity as doing what you believe in and not caring about it, what, what the consequences are for anybody else. And uh, I think he's going to be a great pundit. I think that's a really good sign that he's saying, because, you know, there's so much over-familiarity in, uh, in, in, in the studio when they come back and they say, like, oh, Moise, did this and Moise. It's just for him to be going, Moise. Uh, I just think, and he, you know, he's a kind of insightful pundit. So I think uh, it's pleased to see Ashley Cole continuing his career as a, as one of the most valuable voices in in England. No, and he, and 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 he speaks with, he speaks with authority. Like like he, you get other pundits who, like you say, it's all about chumminess. It's all about sort of riffing off each other. Uh, Cole just comes out with with straight facts and. And what should have happened, and what the defender should have done, and everything, and it's and, and it's and it's massive. I find it massively refreshing. Um, it's a little bit like, do you remember when um, was it Mourinho who came in to be a pundit, and like it was it was a bit sort of everyone was a little bit taken aback because he was speaking so much sense, and it was quite clear that he understood the game really well. And as a, as a as a viewer, you were learning stuff that you didn't already already know. Whereas with other other pundits, they're just reinforcing what you've already got in your head. It's the same with way with Cole. Cole, Cole unlike a lot of the regular pundits, just in a really matter of fact way, explains what what happened and what should have happened. Yeah, no, it's very good. I think that's just. I think he has a bit of detachment from the. I think that's why there was always that thing with Cole, like we're doing that whole golden generation stuff, where Cole would just go to tournaments i remember like you know euro uh, uh 2004 like you know cole was exceptional in the in that tournament and like uh he just kind of went and did it and didn't seem to attach attach himself to all the kind of bullshit and pressure 
and the, the, the whole weight of all this golden generation stuff that seemed to kind of weigh down all the rest of them, he just kind of went out and did it kind of like consistently. Um, and I think he's going to be like that. He's going to like that as a funder too. He says, yeah, here's, here's what I know. And I'm going to tell it to you. Back to Moisey okay. for a moment. Okay. Can I ask you, can I ask you a, quick, a quick question, Paddy? Mm-hmm. Do you know this this uh, manager of the decade uh, painting we always see at Everton? Yeah, is, is that, Dion is, likes to send it to me a lot. Is, is that is that actually real, and was it like genuine a genuine thing by Everton fans? I I don't know the provenance. I haven't dug into it, but I think it is a sports bar in Spain. Dion, it's not in Liverpool it? somewhere. Taps, no, is it Spain? Taps Tavern. It's in Spain, is it? Yeah, I, I, it just it's one the Anfield rap like to share it a lot, so I don't really. Uh, Tend to engage well, like, with it. I just think the whole Moyes thing could have been so different if he'd stayed at Everton when he went to United. Because he definitely, I know like the whole, the, the, the big joke here is he's a winner that he never won. He never won a trophy, but he's still a winner. Ha ha ha. And, and the thing is, <laughs> the thing is. There was, there was a little bit of hurt. There was a little bit of, really sort of feeling. No, in I, I really, I just find it so sad that Moyes has become this figure of fun when he was at Everton, such a brilliant. Like he turned the club around. He turned that club, which was a laugh and stop. Walter Smith was the manager of Everton before David Moyes. It was constantly battling relegation, uh, relegation. And in his first press conference, he coined the phrase "the people's club," which Everton still use to this day. Like I mean, as a piece of marketing genius. Like um, it was on. It was so brilliant because it finally was something that Everton fans could attach themselves to, and finally they could step out of the shadow of Liverpool and say, "Well, actually, hang on, you've got all the trophies or more trophies at least, but we're the club of the people, and we connect." And in fairness, Everton have that. Like, look at Everton in the community. That club, that idea, is because Moyes said the people's club. Like, it's 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 a direct line. Like Everton were always in the community, but that really became part of the DNA of the club. Ken Wright was very much on the same wavelength. Like, they were a dynamic duo. They just didn't get the trophy that, in fairness, they deserved. He qualified them for the Champions League in 2004 in fourth place. And then, like, with so many other things that uh, David Moyes attaches himself to, and Everton too, like, there is just a, a tragedy that follows the success. Valencia, uh, Villarreal, Ferguson, Kalina, all that nonsense. But I mean, I just think with Moyes, like every time I think of like how much of a figure of fun, and I'm laughing along here, like your Beatles about analogy is just so on the money. Like that interview was just like, why are you like this? Say something different. Like you don't have to be like this. You just had this fantastic victory and you're out here looking like you look. But like it could be different for David Moyes. He didn't have to, like he went to United, it's a disaster. He went to Sociedad, it was a disaster. He's had so many bad moments since he took the decision to leave Everton and I just wish that he could have stayed and won a trophy and maybe if he won a trophy it would be well, you see I think that's interesting because it, so much of Moyes's uh, um, perception and, and, and the view of him has been framed like clearly the results uh, at Manchester United weren't good and wherever he's gone since like, things haven't worked out for him but it is it has been framed by um that scrutiny too of how of of what he says and what he does. So it is interesting that like you put the people's club um, and coining that phrase as like, uh, like the great achievement because uh, ever since I, I like um, 
I think you know, that was the perfect, like even the way you frame it though, Patty, it's like, you know, this is a, the people's club, this is the achievement, this, this is what we will call the club that doesn't win anything. We will call it the people's club. Like that's basically what you've said there. And, uh, you know, that worked well at Everton. And it was a good galvanizing thing when you are the underdog, when you are feeling that like there's a bigger club in, in our, you know, bigger Everton fans go crazy at that, but there's a, there's a club that has been more successful in the city. Um, but ever since then, everything like, you know, I remember being at uh, Old Trafford when Moyes got the, you know, when he did his press conference, when he got the United job and he started talking, he, you know, he told the story about uh, getting the call from Alex Ferguson um, to make him Manchester United manager. And, you know, the thing about, he didn't want to go over to Alex Ferguson's house because he was wearing jeans. And, I remember sit, standing there at the time, and like we all had that kind of view of Moyes. Okay, this is like I remember ha- having talked to a lot of people in Everton about him at that stage. It was like, where, what's he going to do next? Because there was this sense he was going to move on, and where would he go? Would he go abroad? What would he do? But there was a, another challenge. Like he was, he had maybe gone as far as he could at Everton, um, and then you heard him saying this, and like I remember at the time again for the, like the same sensation a bit. You know, except you know that you got got tonight. Except more so then it was like, oh no, don't don't say that, don't tell us, don't tell us you you didn't want to go over to Sir Alex's house wearing jeans. Like, don't 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 make it. Don't be this. Don't put yourself in that bracket. Don't put yourself on this notch below them. And then deliver the continue with the story and make it sound as if again. Like, you know, you were calling round to be told that uh, you'd really done a good job. Um, you're really good at a good job, like, sort of trimming the hedges this week. Uh, like, and, you know, like he was given the man, he was told he was the Manchester United manager. Like, as if David Moyes had no agency in it. Like, he had nothing, he had nothing to do with it. And that sort of slight helplessness is the thing that you sort of appeared then. And, once it started appearing, I think as much as the results, which obviously were bad at Manchester United, but you know they're not actually in context. They were a lot. Wor- they were worse than everything that had gone before, but they're not that much worse than everything that has come since. Um, but it the, the results surrounded by how Moyes sounded when he was talking about the results. Um, just made it impossible for him in those positions, and he's and he's never he's never really changed. He's never really shaken that off. And it's funny that like you kind of look at it as Everton say that was uh, that was when coining a phrase and saying something like if he'd said that if he'd described Manchester, you know, the way you frame it, if he'd said it like that at, at Manchester United again, it would have been it could have been seen as something slightly defeatist. But uh, it's um, it's. The Taft, Taft Tavern is in Liverpool, by the way. I've done some. I'm, I'm googling again. Okay, looking around in the uh, relegation battle, I said that Bournemouth were gone. What do you reckon, Bournemouth gone after this evening? Doesn't look good for for them, Eddie Howe. They don't look to have a no. They don't look to have come back well from their break, Dion. No, three, three, like they got uh, got hammered tonight. Uh, um, and yes, that they've lost every game since they came back, and I think it's 
Uh, no, I think they've. I think they're 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 more more than likely gone. Yeah. Well, they're not. You know, they're not. Not. It's just their form suggests they're gone. But then everybody's form down there is so bad that uh, you know Watford have one point from nine from from nine. Uh, as I said earlier, West Ham had nothing before before tonight. So there is still plenty of games there, but uh, the way Bournemouth are playing, it doesn't look good. Mm, on form, it's Watford, Bournemouth, and Norwich to go down. And Villa are slightly ahead in on form of Watford, but it's probably going to come down to those four. Um, Nas, what's your opinion on the uh, the relegation battle? Will it go to the to the wire? Um, I mean, I hope so because because obviously with the with the league being wrapped up sort of before lockdown, really, um, what we had to look forward to was uh was the sort of a race for the top four and and relegation. So I think I think tonight and this week has kind of uh, both ends. It's kind of made it more interesting. Um I just find it interesting with with the relegation so the the teams in the relegation zone. Um somebody earlier in the season um asked the question whether Norwich were the best team to be bottom of the league. Um the the Premier League. And I mean I don't believe that but there's something interesting about those teams down there because Norwich, Bournemouth, and Villa, like to to different sort of levels, they all play quite nice technical football, and may, maybe it's the maybe it's the most technically sort of proficient sort of bottom three because in each of the, each of those teams play with playing the right way if you want to, if you want to use that really tired phrase, but also I think each of those three teams have got players that. That teams far higher up and maybe even even in the top four would be interested in because because there's good te- there's good technical plays on each of those teams to go on a slight tangent like how and and and, and I'm speaking to two uh, proud Irishmen and and uh, Grealish like how good is Grealish do we think he's as, do we think he's as good as as some of the clubs that are interested in interested in him seem to think so uh, yeah I think he's pretty good I think he's um, uh... As a as a as an Irishman, um, as an Irishman, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's painful. It is painful watching Grealish because it, it does feel um, that uh, he's a player that Ireland, whatever about the big clubs who are going to get him, certainly Ireland uh, would 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 need him more than any of the big clubs who want him need him. Um, and so to have lost him, and you know to have this sense of uh, uh, kind of maybe you know it didn't have to be that way. Like you know, there's people who tell you oh, he was always going to play for England, blah blah blah. But there's certainly ways in which his um, his lack of appearances for Ireland and the way it was handled by Martin O'Neill, who was the manager at the time, um, gives you kind of just justified reasons for regret that they could have done more could have been done to make him feel excited and make him feel part of it i i I find it hard to judge players like him simply because i think aesthetically he's so pleasing to watch like the way the way he moves around the pitch the way he sort of like goes past a, a player or two like it looks very very pleasing on the eye but like it's it's hard for me to quite work out whether that's effective or just it just looks good, like like I I I get sucked in like like you know Paddy like I I was a uh, I hitched myself on the Tom Davis um, 
a bandwagon. I, like, like, but I, I think that was partly because it, he looked a better play than he was, and it was a whole similar to similar to Grealish. It was the whole sort of like uh, shirt outside the so- uh, outside the uh, shorts and uh, socks at half mast. It just he, it just looks like you're a bit of a player. Well, Grealish is a is a lot better player than Tom Davies. He's a he's got a lot more about him. I mean, like the question about Greedish is where does he play? I mean, Villa fans will tell you he's not number ten. To me, he looks like a number ten. I know he's played in different positions, but he's a playmaker. I mean, that seems to be what he does best. Um, when you're, I suppose, playing for a club that's in relegation, you're going to have to pitch in and do other things and move around and play in different positions and fill holes and whatever else. But I imagine at the top of his game w- with one of the the top teams in the league, he probably is a number 10. Ireland would have built their entire team around him. Like he's, he could have been like the next, you know, Wes Hulan. Uh, we would have definitely, he could have made so much of that Irish team because we've got loads of good players coming through in attacking positions, but we don't have anybody like him. And the, I think the real sad part of it is that it's going to be very difficult for him to get a game for England because England have got brilliant young players in his position. Mason Mount, Phil Foden, James Madison, just off the top of my head, there's and there's more. And Jack Grealish is probably going to be number four of those four players. He's, you know, maybe he's ahead of Madison, but eventually Mount and Foden are going to be ahead of him um, because he hasn't made that breakthrough already and he hasn't got a cap under his belt. And that's the, that's a shame because, like, he's he's got hero status for the rest of his life in Ireland if he plays for Ireland. He's going to get automatically played for every game when he's fit. Well, we can say that. We think with Stephen Kenny, that's probably the case. And for England, I don't know. He'd probably be capped, but would he get more than, would he go into double figures? Maybe not. It's, it's also a pity because at international level, like the, diff- like the difference between a, a decent team and a very good team, it can often be one player. Like if you've got, if there's, if yeah. there's competent players around one sort of special player, then suddenly it elevates the whole team and, like a playmaker, yeah, a playmaker. Yeah. Like, look at Iceland with Sigurdsson. Like you know, you if you've got one good central defender, a goalkeeper, and a playmaker in a, at international level, you've got a team. And 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 at the time, like, was it? Did it feel pretty close in terms of like where where he was going to choose? Yeah, it did. Yeah, but like, um, well, they did until uh, until he chose somebody else. I suppose that's always that's like you know that's <laughs> life, isn't it? Uh, I've got a chance mm. until you're told no, you don't, son. Um, and uh, that was that. Uh, that was no. It did seem like there was a big like debate, what? and people were wondering about it. And mm. it did. It did seem like there seemed to be moments when it was okay. It's going. It's going in a different direction now. And when Sherwood was at, you know, once Sherwood got into Villa and um, was was pushing him like and pushing him for England, uh, it it it's it changed and i think there was you know he was he was used very sparingly and it wasn't used at all he was, you know martin O'Neill was very slow and ponderous and old school in how he developed him and you know used all these uh fell back on all these football conventions like you know when, when he's when he's getting games for his you know club we'll we'll uh you know he's got a long way to go a lot to learn in the game all this kind of stuff which as paddy says really like he made a terrible mistake in some somehow thinking one of you know international football was uh, a step up from like the Premier League when nobody really thinks international football is a step up anymore. Um, and he was good enough to play then, and he should have been playing then. Um, but 
you know, we're over it now, Nas. Why are you bringing it up? The the reason the reason why I'm bring, the reason why I'm bringing it up is that I've got a really stupid question. I mean, the first question about Grealish was like, how good is he? And I think it'll be really interesting wherever he goes next, whether that's United, Borussia Dortmund, is supposed to be interested or, or wherever, or even like City or somewhere. But now, my stupid question is, um, is there any possible? There's probably too much um, water under the bridge. But is there any possible? Because he's not been, he's not actually been capped yet by England, has it? No. So could he change his mind? Heck no. Under the no. rules as they as they stand, he couldn't. Mm. But just because he's just because he's only changed. Change change they are just the rules. Yeah. They are just yeah, the rules. Exactly. Uh, I just think it'd be an amazing and rules, story. Rules can you can change. Yeah. I like. Yeah. No, it would be an amazing uh, story. Because, because, like you say, like this, this only plays in front of him. Like, imagine, like he doesn't get into the squad for like the Euros. Yeah, how we'll feel mm. about that? Yeah, it's a super rule. Mm. Should be, be able to change your mind as it, many times as you like. <laughs> well, well, what happened with um, Diego Costa? Didn't he play for for sort of Brazil and Spain? Yeah, but he only changed. He changed once. Oh, you're allowed yeah. to change. Yeah. Which again is, as I said, is a rule, uh, and it's just, it's just, it's, it's <laughs> somebody has made this rule. Like it is not, uh, it's not something like it's not, it is not science. It is just, a, it's just a rule. Mm. <clears throat> all, all I'm, all I'm saying is, is look into it. Never give up. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's appreciated. We do appreciate your uh, your lobbying on our behalf for Euro twenty twenty one. If I, well, if, 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 back as well, even though he's been capped many times for England at this stage, that would be great. Like Wright actually did get senior caps. None of them were official caps, but uh, um, yeah, that's another that's another Pandora's box we should leave unopened. Um, okay, look at we we'll, let's let's move on from Jack Grealish because it's 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 emotional for myself and Dion. Um, and uh, speaking of emotional, will we will we talk for a moment about Everton? Yes. Just because, on, buddy. because we Callum have Ancelotti, talked about Everton. I know we have. It feels very yeah, Everton yeah. heavy tonight. Although Everton, I have featured prominently uh, doing the business for Manchester United, amongst other teams that are chasing that uh, fourth Champions League spot. Everton beat Leicester City tonight. Uh, 2-1 and it's been a really good sort of return to football for Ancelotti he looks very relaxed and calm on the sideline and Everton are looking good so yeah I I thought I'd just very quickly go through a couple of things that I think have really been key you're just, to you're just going through bulletins like you're just giving a little kind of talk here are you just you're not gonna like you're not gonna wanted, engage with us. You're just saying, I'll just go through a few points there. It's a it's a it's a it's a toughy yeah, TED you, talk. <laughs> you guys, you guys, just sit back here, and I'll give you three minutes. Come on, no, no, ask me a question. I want you, you've got, you've got this, buddy. You got it. Take it. Take it away. <laughs> I just asked my background music, Daddy, What do you think? <laughs> Make it like a YouTube video where it's like kind of just bad music in the background. You know, you can. Okay, what do you think of this? All right, so <laughs> Ancelotti's appointment, right? <laughs> Instantly made Everton relevant, like globally. As soon as he was appointed, like people were like, eh, who are they? They're the people's them club. From the 80s. Like that's. <laughs> I remember those guys. They went beyond the people's club. <laughs> 
they were instantly respected. And this was after years of being snared by media. Yeah. Like there's this there is this kind of attitude towards Everton that Everton are a faintly ridiculous no, they are a fully ridiculous club at times. And see the thing is, I totally get this because of the results, the fatalism, and that sort of sense of like the feeling that the worst could happen and then it does all the time. But a lot of the reason that Everton were like a mockery in a lot of the time was because of the personality of the managers and that changes with Ancelotti so look just go through them leave Moyes alone we've t- talked enough about him Martinez is a, is, a, is a man that's very easy to lampoon and even though he did great things the way he is his preening it just he's easy to kind of mock Kuman and his red Christmas tree he's a humorless man he's not he's not easy to like Big Sam embarrassing Marco Silva totally joyless and so it was really easy to take the piss out of everything and then Ancelotti comes in and his record speaks for itself and he's fun and he's self-deprecating and he says informed progressive things like he is a dream like I mean whatever whatever marketing genius Moyes had back in the late noughties like Ancelotti is the real deal and like it is I think most Everton fans still can't believe than a manager of the renown and record, and just the way he comports himself is managing Everton. Like it, it does feel like this is finally the manager that the club deserves. And I think one of the most the indicative thing about this is when Richarlison, who actually has really come out of a shell as well, and I think Ancelotti's played a huge role in that. So you know, you see Richarlison talking about Virgil Van Dijk. I ran past him. We can laugh at that, but he's just psyching himself up. And he's trying to psych Van Dijk out, and I love that because he's he's got the confidence to do that now, and he's and he's coming to the fore, and he's appearing on all these Brazilian uh, Instagram influencer videos where he's just coming out of his shell and and being he's it actually seems like a very funny guy, Richardson. But I love this interview where he gave, and he said uh, the manager's always talking to me. He's told me I'm in his top ten list of the best attackers that he worked with. And you kind of like think that's kind of funny, like top 10, Jesus, that's, and you're going to, you're actually going to talk about that. But then look at his list and you have got to knock three players off this list to put um, Richarlison onto the list. Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Drogba, Shevchenko, Lewandowski, Ronaldo, Trezeguet, Inzaghi, Fernando Torres, Nicholas Anelka, Karim Benzema and Dries Mertens. We'll knock Dries Mertens off. You still have to take two more off just to put Richarlison on that list. Uh, yeah, so I, I think I think it's like revolution at Everton. Um, I know you've seen it tonight. That's a game that Everton would have drawn uh, six months ago. And in fact, they did draw a game like that six months ago when they were incredibly, like there's that amazing screen grab from the game against Newcastle uh, in, in January when Everton are 2-0 up. And there's like, the clock says 93-01, Everton 2 Newcastle nil and it's like you know how did Everton manage to draw this game within the next 60 seconds because there's only four minutes of injury time and I think that was a moment where Angelotti realized the scale of the task that's facing him but tonight we saw that he has already done so much in six months during lockdown improving the confidence of the players just changing the attitude of fans opposing fans media all that stuff towards the club and in time Everton fans will begin to just snap out of their fatalism. And I think that's the revolution that Angelotti has brought to Everton. And that's why things are different. <laughs> totally dismissing <laughs> everything that Paddy had said. 
I I, I like I like Everton though. I mean, I mean, like I've always I've always had a bit of a soft spot for them because of because of like the whole thing of like the enemy of my enemy is my friend type thing. But um, I think I think what what he's what he's done when he's come in, Ancelotti is he's he's given the team personality, and and and, and it's yeah. and like you can see players growing within the team. Like, like you you mentioned uh, Richarlison, like he's. He he has got personality on the pitch, and I, I, what I especially like about him is is the fact he works so hard. Like you, you expect, like this really talent, talented young Brazilian player who's who's adored, who's got a big reputation, to be a bit of a prima donna. He he properly scraps for the team. You've you, you've got. I think I don't know how you feel about it, but but as an outsider, I think I think Michael Keane's really sort of come out of his shell and like he's showing a lot of personality on the pitch. It's a very interesting, um, what you're saying is actually is very interesting because the thing about Ancelotti and why I would have been sceptical about him at Everton uh, is because he's always seemed to me a manager who is very good. Like he is, he is, a, you know, he is, a, he is a, like a super rich manager. He is an elite. He is somebody who you would see it like a, a G7 summit like he is this is his career you know it is it is it you know it, it, like he, he is he is golden as a player and then like you know it, you know Juventus Milan PSG Madrid like Munich like it's it's just this um uh you know elite and like you know the inner sort of like you know those those things you know that that thing the EU it's like an EU summit like it's just all these perfectly dressed people everybody knowing exactly what to do where to move how to address each other how to talk Ancelotti has always been an insider and very good at going to these super clubs and keeping things moving and making people feel good about themselves making the players feel good about themselves making the owners feel good about themselves um, and facilitating all these conversations between all the connected parties in a way that is just effortless and charming, but doesn't seem to be what you said there, which is revolutionary. But when you put it like that, it seems to me that what is happening with him, and it is very early, but what is happening with him is that all that, all that energy, all that status that he is, he is, he has collected from being at these clubs is now galvanizing Everton because I thought when he got in I thought no this isn't going to work because Everton need uh, a revolutionary they need somebody who's actually going to change things but his presence at least now is is that change like it is like you know there's nothing in in like there's nothing about Ancelotti as a coach or as a manager when you say that he's you know he says to Richardson you're in my top 10 uh like there's nothing about him as a coach that 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 is kind of that that is demonstrating his abilities as a coach. It's just demonstrating his career as a coach. It's highlighting his career as a coach and a manager. Um, and yet in it, in its own way, that can be a galvanizing force, and that can make people think, right, um, this guy is, uh. Is something special for us now. I think I think there comes a point with every manager when there's something else is required, and like that still has to happen with Everton because you know Everton have been here before. They have been here with like you know Martinez. They have been here with Ronald Koeman. They have had these moments where they thought that this is the manager for us now, uh, and it, it you know Duncan Ferguson, 
Duncan Ferguson, the brief, you know, his his glorious caretaker spell uh, at the end of last year. It looked like giving the job was the, you know, it seemed like. But then it then it then then the the, the kind of the magic kind of faded a little bit. So it does fade for Everton. Um, but I do think this it is interesting that that thing that you could have seen as a, a drawback with Ancelotti and Everton is could actually be a strength. I I could easily see Everton finishing around about like like they're not far away from seventh and eighth. Uh, Arsenal and uh, and Tottenham like like they 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 kind of like uh, three or four points behind. And I think it would just be interesting over the summer. Um, it does feel as if they're a, a club that have got a bit of money behind them. Um, I don't know if that's the sense, Paddy. Whether whether Everton, unlike some other teams, will be probably a little bit better place to spend a bit of money. They have your Moshiri is mega rich, and they have um, Usmanov as well. That's invested in the club in the training ground. Now he's not officially part of the setup in the same way that Moshiri is, but he's obviously putting money into the USM or the sponsors of the training ground. See a massive USM sign actually at Goodison on the terraces this tonight, and a huge Russian flag as well beside it. So his presence has been felt there as well. Like, and obviously the money. The money is talking there. I actually thought you were going to Richard Keyes it there by say like an early call Everton to finish above Liverpool next season. I'm for I didn't know where you were going with that. Now <laughs> I was I wasn't quite back. I wasn't quite that optimistic, but I think I think I think there's loads of reasons to be cheerful, and, and I think if anything, like perhaps this season, like Wolves are, are a good model because because as 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 much as as much as the it's one of the richest leagues in the world, like the Premier League, like underneath City and Liverpool. Like it's still all to play for in in terms of a lot of teams that are bunched together and not amazing quality or, or like consistent quality. So I I think I think if Everton got the shit together, bought smartly, and and by that I don't mean I don't mean the fella silver from PSG. I mean like proper decent players, like up and coming players. Uh, under under Ancelotti, I think I think I I think there's a I think there's a proper upward trajectory happening at that club. Well. Well, good things happening, like bringing Anthony Gordon through, like and playing him again tonight when he was really anonymous against Liverpool, resting him, bringing him in tonight, like he's you know after Keane was the best player on the field, and again, like to Dion's point about like kind of the revolution and and Ancelotti's always been just a brilliant man manager and makes people feel good about playing, but not necessarily a tactical um, genius, although he has pioneered a lot of. Um, brilliant tactical innovations in his career, but maybe that's not what he's most known for. But tonight, something simple as Leicester are running riot through the middle of Madison. Just bring on Yerry Mina and play three at the back. It was a simple thing, but after that, Leicester didn't attack again. Like It looks certain Leicester were going to equalise. And I, I texted you guys, I said, this will be 3-2 to Leicester because that's the way the game was looking. Um, so small things like that, making a decision early, probably Marco Silva would have left that for another 10 minutes. I mean, even to compare the two of them just seems faintly ridiculous now, but these are small things, but they are contributing to a team, I think, going in the right direction. And Dion's right, though, like we have been here before and probably there's a part of me that feels we could be back there again. But for now, it's it's all feeling pretty good. Um, OK, look, at lads, that's 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 been a lot of Everton this evening and and. Uh, Normal service. Don't say that, Paddy. See, tomorrow. don't put yourself down <laughs> like that. Just accept yeah. your, your place. You know, you're, 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 you belong mis- here. 
You belong here, Paddy. He's gone full moise. Like, you belong here. You don't need to just... Apologising. Don't apologise for anything. Credit where credit's due, Paddy. Like, you... Right. Um... Okay, look, we'll leave it there. Thanks very much to Dion Fanning, Naz Chowdhury. We will be back, as I mentioned, tomorrow evening after the football. If you haven't already done so, click subscribe to get shows into your feed on whatever platform you listen to. Uh, We'll talk again soon. Good luck. I think it would lift the spirits of the nation. I don't give a fuck about the nation in my own world. People's lives are at risk. Oli Gunnar, where would you like the statue? (laughs) It's an absolute disgrace. I refuse to answer that question. Take that as a yes, then. Take it whatever you want. I don't understand that politics, coronavirus. Why me? I wear a base cap and uh, have a bad shave.